add a bit of sunshine to your home with Easy Living Furniture's Garden Furniture Sale with stunning dining sets, cracking egg chairs and relaxing sun loungers that are in stock and ready for delivery there really is something for everyone and with an extra 10% off sale prices and free delivery over 399 now really is the time to let your garden shine Garden Sale now on Visit Easy Living Furniture Don't miss out Find your local store online at easylivingfurniture.ie Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, have you ever felt that there was so much conflicting information around food that you don't know where to start? Well, today we're cutting through all the nonsense and the things that you don't need to know. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by registered dietitian Sarah Kyo. Sarah, welcome to the show. How's it going? Good, very well, thank you. Thank you for coming in. Again, we're kind of getting used to seeing people again. It's kind of lovely just <laughs> to see nice people face to face. Yeah. Haven't spent so long chatting to people over Zoom. Uh, first of all, how's life with you? You're flat out busy, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, on yeah, a work really, perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really busy. Um, you know, and it's lovely. We've always done lots of kind of workplace wellness and, and all of that. And yeah, we've had that online, but it's really, really nice to actually be going back in and seeing people and the interaction is fantastic with that as well. Um, lovely to be back doing that again. And do you find that people have struggled over the course of the last two years with yeah. myths, people think they're reading online, concepts, cutting this, cutting that, because you know some influencer told them to do it. Is there a lot of that going on? To be honest, a huge amount, but that's always been there. And okay. it's one of the things I've always enjoyed. Um, you know, I, I do a lot on Instagram and it's really about myth busting in terms of nutrition. And it's because so many times when I'd be going in and be running seminars and things on nutrition and there's always the five or six questions that consistently come up that our people are confused about. And then you have the odd random thing like, can you really eat more than half a banana and all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's lovely to actually be able to go in and talk to people. And I suppose for me to put minds at rest. I'm always happier if people feel less stressed about food after I've been in, um, you know, rather than sometimes I think people can get really, really worried about what they're eating. And where do you think the myths begin or kick off? They're all over the place. I mean, you know, you have your Instagram and you have your Facebook and things like that. And I think... you know, I don't think any of it is ever malicious. I think it's genuinely people thinking, oh, you know, this worked for my second cousin's dog kind of thing. And, <laughs> you know, but I, you know, I have to say I overhear some hilarious conversations. You know, if you're in a cafe or something and there's, you know, I've heard some just hilarious stuff behind and it's people kind of going, oh, well, I heard this or my mother said that or somebody else. And, you know, suddenly nobody's drinking milk um, and things like that. So I think there's, you know, it's it's online. It's conversations people are having. It's sometimes people get the wrong end of the stick about a nutrition study and that can cause a lot of confusion as well. So there's, there's loads places where it comes from. Do you think in terms of the online components, I'm fascinated by that. I spend a lot of time on Instagram myself uh, trying to myth bust a little bit like yeah. what you do. Uh, that there's... For, it's kind of irresponsible in some respects because a lot of the influencers will post about, oh, this worked for me, mm-hmm. that worked for me, here's my lovely six-pack and all the rest of it. And the people who follow them, they genuinely, they, they try these things out, they, they tend to. They they can do, and especially if they're very invested. And I think we're in a society with such pressure on how we look as well. And I think sometimes, and, and this is the thing I've spent a lot of the time when I was doing clinics, was saying to people, sometimes you just don't have the physique. You know, I'm, I'm a very tall person for one, I'm nearly six foot tall, but there's no amount of diet going to get a short person up to my height. And it's the same <laughs> for somebody, you know, you're either very broad as a man or yeah. you're as slender as a man and things like that. And I sometimes think that, you know, someone is saying, oh, we'll do this and you're going to look like me. And you're like, really, if you have the genes there, yes. But for a lot of people, it is out of reach. And I think sometimes we need to have this acceptance of different body shapes and sizes and what's actually realistic for each person and stop trying to, you know, and not that everyone does it, but we try to push people into a particular shape or you know, things like that. And I think that's that's where a lot of the difficulty comes. People are trying to do something that's just not going to be possible for them. Yeah, and, gen- and it all starts with genetics. Mm. 
in terms of how you react to a training type or in terms yep. of all of that. You're genetically profiled to be a certain way and ensure that the influencer you're following, uh, if you're going to take that advice, looks somewhat similar to you from a physique perspective. Well, that's it. You know, if someone is very, very curvy, you know, that's you're just not going to be if you're if you're straight up and down, you know. So I think, yeah, look at the, the if you're looking at an influencer, if there's someone you're liking online. I mean, you can certainly sometimes there can be good information there, but, you know, you do have to, as you say, if they reflect your body shape or size, it's probably a little more realistic. And let's chat through some of the myths. Dairy is a big one. Uh, and you dairy, live yeah. actually randomly where I live. We all both <laughs> live in the same place. You've never seen each other, but we do. We're surrounded by lots of dairy, lots of farms yes. and all of that. So dairy gets a bad rap. Dairy gets a bad rap. And for a food that's really so nutritious, it's a pity. And, you know, I think what fascinates me often with nutrition is what I get asked about or what people think about dairy and then what's actually in the science and how often they are two completely different things. So I hear the biggest myth I hear about dairy is that it causes cancer. And I hear that a huge amount. And what's very interesting, if you go to the actual science on it, it, that's not there at all. And in fact, one of the big studies that we'd look at is one called EPIC, which is the European Prospective Investigation into Cancer, which is a good mouthful. So EPIC is the short version, but they have been tracking over half a million people across Europe for the last 30 years and they're really delving into what are people eating what cancers do they get what type this is you know what we've heard recently about processed red meat and cancer that's come out of this study and this study is not finding links with dairy and cancer and not only are they finding that it doesn't cause cancer they've actually found that people drinking milk and eating cheese and yogurt are actually getting less bowel cancer um, than people who avoid them and so there it's now you know we're nearly looking at milk as being quite good in terms of helping to prevent cancer so you know I see lots of people worried about this and then they talk about hormones. Um, but, you know, although you can use hormones to produce dairy, it's illegal to do so in the European Union. So if you're reading websites, say, from the US, they will talk about the hormones. But in the EU, it's not accurate. And the same for antibiotics. It's not in the milk or even in the meat in Europe. And it's just food legislation here is a little bit different. So there's lots of myths out there. I think the one that is scaring me a little bit at the moment is there's a lot of talk about acne and skin health for teenagers, which obviously, I mean, we, we I know I had my spots as my teenage years as well. Um, but I'm seeing people say, oh, cut out dairy. And this is such a crucial time for bone health for teenagers where they actually need to be healthy five servings of dairy um, a day. A day? A day wow, at that. Okay. As teen, yeah, they just, you're going to put down 90% of your bones before you're 19 years old. Um, Talk me through servings. So a serving would be one glass of milk, uh, one pot of yogurt, like, you know, the 120 gram mm-hmm. kind of hot, or about 30 grams of cheese, which is about the size of your two thumbs stuck together. So five of those get day for teenagers. Um, and although there's been two studies that suggest, and I'll have to emphasize it like this, suggest dairy might affect skin acne they're really not definitive in any way at all Um, and if someone does want to try it they really need to replace that calcium which they're not doing so I'm really nervous about that as advice going out um, for that at the moment lots of other things I have to say I've worked in clinics over the years with um, teenagers with acne and there's lots of other places I would be starting long before you'd look at dairy as a cause of course everywhere we look now there's a milk replacement so there's oat milk almond milk rice milk Uh, I'm sure there's some other ones I've missed but but every coffee shop you go into what milk would you like? There's a huge growth in that area. And it's, are, are people replacing it for taste or or do you think it's for myth reasons that they, they read about it? There's a little bit of myth. There's a little bit of taste. There's a little bit of it's very fashionable at the moment. Mm. You know, and we get a lot of that and I've seen all kinds of things over the years in what's fashionable in, in nutrition. Um, and in fairness, with the milks, like with dairy, it's not the only place where you can get calcium. Um, but if someone is going for the plant-based milks, they need to make sure the calcium has been added because the calcium, the plant-based milks don't naturally have much in the way of 
calcium. So I've seen people and they've swapped onto another milk, but they haven't checked and suddenly their calcium levels have dropped. And a real myth, and I find this one a bit nerve wracking as well, is that people say, well, I've had my blood calcium levels measured and they're fine. That is not a measure of your bone calcium. So you actually need to keep your blood calcium levels at a certain level to actually keep your heart beating. So your body works very hard to keep your blood calcium levels steady. So it's not like if you're low in B12 or, you know, a blood test for B12 is quite good or a blood test for vitamin D, but for calcium, not as reliable at all um, with that. So your body will actually be taking calcium out of your bones to keep your blood calcium levels steady. Um, So with the plant based milks, definitely check that they're calcium added and brilliant if they have vitamin D as well. The other thing I find most people don't know about dairy is that dairy is the major source of iodine in the Irish diet. So it's where we get most of our iodine and we need that for healthy thyroid, so metabolism, but it's also really important for brain development during pregnancy for the baby. And there's big concerns. We've always been a bit borderline on iodine in Ireland anyway, but now where people are not taking the dairy, it's a big drop. Now you can pick up some iodine in seaweed and you can pick up some iodine in white fish. but you've got to be Both careful the about we the don't seaweed. Eat we don't eat a whole lot of, of them. Yeah. And um, suddenly eating seaweed in pregnancy is not is very definitely not recommended either because it's too much iodine. Um, so, so your dairy intake through pregnancy is really important. Dairy intake through pregnancy as well for your own bones. Now, obviously, lots of people are on fully plant based diets and you can absolutely get your calcium kind of from that. But I think people who are doing it because it's fashionable or trendy or they've read misinformation about it. That's what I'd love to see people not being afraid of dairy. There's nothing to be afraid of with it. Okay, lovely. Second myth, veg, vegetables. (laughs) Well, I think people have all kinds of ideas about vegetables. Um, We do need a certain amount, obviously, of vegetables every day. But what I'm seeing sometimes, and I've seen it over the years in clinic, is people thinking that you can just live on veg all on their own like that in the sense of, you know, I've had people coming in with their hair falling out and really dry skin. And you're trying to explain that, you know, vegetables are one food group in a healthy Mm -hmm. diet. You still need your proteins and your fats and all those other things as well. So they're going to be a big part of it, too. And of course, there are lots of claims every now and again of certain superfoods, mushrooms for being anti-cancerous and tomatoes (laughs) and all this stuff. Reality is probably the word superfood doesn't is is a giveaway that I'm not sure there is necessarily a superfood. You know, if I was going to take a food as superfood, I'd probably talk about fish with it. But um, I'll come back to that. But in terms of, I suppose, with fruit and veg, every so often there's the new headline. Um, You know, blueberries are going to cure Alzheimer's, mushrooms are going to prevent cancer, whatever it is. And people then get very worried about, well, which fruit, which veg, what should I eat? Um, Um, And I suppose in particular, I see poor bananas getting a really hard time for such a wonderful fruit. Um, There's no one fruit or veg that is going to save you from everything. And what we know from the research is that you need a variety. And the more different fruit and veg you can eat, the more you get the Mm -hmm. different compounds, the flavonoids and the polyphenols and all of those things. Um, And that's where your benefit comes in. And it actually doesn't matter whether they're raw or cooked. You know, sometimes people are like, everything has to be raw. Or if you put it in a smoothie, you have lost all the fibre. It's Mm -hmm. like you don't. You do lose the fibre in juice, but you don't lose the fibre from your smoothie. Um, But cooking foods um, and a lot of fruit and veg actually activate some of the antioxidants. So things like carrots and tomatoes are actually slightly better for you cooked than raw. But there's still great benefits to them being raw. And the thing about cooking veg as well is it's easier to eat more of it. Mm-hmm. You know, sitting Softer, down to eat, yeah. yeah, raw carrot sticks, there's a real upper limit to how far you can go, but you, you know, Unless cooked carrots. a decent carrots. bit of hummus or baba ganoush, it's yeah. very difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think we need to stop being so precious about fruit and veg and it doesn't all have to be organic and perfect. And, you know, sometimes I think people are nearly just Instagramming it, if that makes any let's, sense. Let's chat. You, know. you mentioned organic. You I'm mentioned it. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Is there, I'm fat, because people ask me all the time, you know, and I do my food shop on Instagram on a Sunday, I get loads of DMs, oh, you should buy organic this and organic. I, I try to buy organic when I can, mm-hmm. purely because 
I just do. Is there a difference? Is one particular? Is there? Are there large benefits to one no. or the other? No. No. Once you're eating one or the other, you're doing well. The, the simple. I mean, this is the thing that comes out all the time. Organic is more about the environmental impact than that. It's not the nutrition is no different. Okay. Um, so study after study and you have tiny studies that go, oh, there's slightly more antioxidants in this organic. And then if someone else looks and go, well, actually, we found more over here. So there are going to be differences in where they're grown, what soil they're grown in and all of that. But when we look at the overall research on organic fruit and vegetables, there's no extra vitamins or anything over the other. Um, so to be honest, to have to say myself, I never really bother with them um, at all. Okay. So, I, 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 the fascinating yeah. point around the the environmental component that mm-hmm. that's generally where the differences are, which is which is which is fascinating. It's great. But even there's a few myths around. People say, well, there's fewer pesticides on them, but that really, really varies because it's not that you can't use pesticides with organic. Now, there's different rules around different certification for organic, but quite a few do permit what they call organic pesticides, but they're still pesticides in that sense. So it's not that these foods are necessarily pesticide free. Now, there's very, very strict rules around how all pesticides are used um, and how safe they are. People are often, if they actually look at the testing on them, um, and I, I do a lot in food legislation as well. And when you look at the actual testing, things like food additives and pesticides and that go through, you know, I it's not something I'd be worried about with that. So I say for me, I, I don't ever go for the organic. You've reassured a lot of people already. This is good. <laughs> Folks, you're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. We're chatting all things food myths. Fascinating so far. Sugar. Next up. I'm really interested in this one. Well, I think sugar has, I suppose, I, to be honest, I was only given a talk this morning and I was saying, someone asked me about sugar and I was saying, it's, I've never heard more rubbish in my life than I've heard about sugar yeah. in the last few years. It has just, I mean, people are genuinely believe it's toxic and you think an arsenic is toxic. You know, alcohol is toxic if you're really going to go look at that. So, you know, do we need to limit sugar? Absolutely. You know, we, we're definitely, in Ireland, I think we're eating about 18 teaspoons of added sugar a day. and A day? Yeah. Whoa. Now, bear okay. in mind, guidelines are for adults between 10 and 14 teaspoons oh, yeah. of sugar okay. a day. Now, that's a guideline. That's a limit. That's a you don't have to eat 14 <laughs> yeah. teaspoons of sugar a day. Feel free to eat none. Um, but we, you know, I hear so many myths about sugar and, you know, we know sugar rots your teeth. No question. Really bad for your teeth. Don't want to do that. In terms of all the other diseases, you know, I see people terrified about sugar and obesity. And in terms of weight and obesity, there are so many causes with obesity. You know, we know genetics are in their environment. Income makes a huge difference. We know changes in how hormones regulate our appetite are in there. Where does sugar fall? If sugar is within that sort of 10 to 14 teaspoons of added sugar a day, we don't really see any link with weight with that. Now, if you go over that, yes. Mm -hmm. But if you go over your daily calories with protein, you put on weight as well. If you go over your daily calories with fat, you put on weight. It's not some specific thing sugar does. Um, The other thing I hear a lot is that sugar causes cancer. And that one actually has frightened a lot of people. And, you know, if I'm again, if I'm doing talks and people are saying, well, does it not feed cancer and should you not give up um, sugar if you have cancer? And you're like, well, no, the studies, again, are not showing that. So going back to that study, Epic, they did not find links between sugar and cancer. Where we might see a link is we do know that if someone has quite significant obesity, the obesity itself changes the body's chemistry in a way that makes it a little more likely that someone might get certain types of cancer. And obviously, if someone overeats on sugar, that contributes to obesity. But at the same time, people whose obesity might be more protein related or fat related, still seeing there's no extra cancer from the sugar side of things. So sugar itself don't seem to be an issue. And I suppose I see quote a lot of study where scientists put cancer cells in a petri dish and gave them sugar and they grew. And that's where the sugar feeds cancer myth comes from. But scientists have put cancer cells in petri dishes with protein and they've grown and with fat and they've grown. So sadly, cancer cells grow. And, you know, I worked in cancer for a few years 
And we do know from research and there's vast research on what people should or shouldn't eat with cancer. And what we know fundamentally is you need to keep the calories up. The big, most important thing to do is don't lose weight. And when we look at research on cancer, what we do know is that weight loss is actually probably the biggest predictor of death from cancer, more so than even the type or the stage of cancer. The weight loss is a big factor. And what we don't want people to do is lose weight. Now, it can be part of cancer if, you know, sometimes treatment can lose appetite and so on. But we know that around 40% of people with cancer who die, die from malnutrition, not cancer. So what you don't want to do if you have cancer is start cutting out foods and eating less and restricted, especially when we don't see an association with sugar and cancer. So I know sometimes people go to see a dietitian and the dietitian is like, well, actually eat the chocolate and the biscuits and the cream and the sugar. And everyone's like, well, that's stupid. Dietitian has given them the wrong advice. You're like, actually, we've done Mm. studies where people are eating massive amounts of fruit and veg and they had to stop the study halfway through because people were dying twice as fast. And it's not that the fruit and veg was bad. It was just pushing out the high calorie food. So I think we get a lot of confusion and cancer in particular is a very scary disease. And, you know, if you have a loved one and I don't know anyone who isn't touched themselves or family members with it, it's very scary. So you're looking for anything to do. And I think the people who are peddling the sugar myths are right there to take advantage of that. So it's, you know, I think we don't need to be nearly so scared of sugar as people go on with. Yes, we could reduce it for teeth. But, um, you know, this thing of having to cut it all out. And I think the other myth I see with sugar is that you have to look at sugar in milk and fruit and yogurt as well. And you don't. You know, when we talk about sugar in teeth, we're really talking about added sugars. Added sugar, as opposed to natural sugars, which are found yeah. in all fruits, dairy products, yeah. all of that. Yeah, And they're fine. And I suppose mm. when, I always love to use the, the term sort of added sugar because then I talk about sugar and people go, what about brown sugar? And what about coconut sugar? And it's like, if it's sugar and you're adding it, it's an added <laughs> sugar. Um, so, you know, swapping out something for honey, you're still going to rot your teeth. Yeah. Um, now, the thing is, though, you can still have it, but just, you know, keep an Moderation. eye on it. And, and that's it. Nobody is saying ban all sugar. There's no, it doesn't matter who you're looking at. I know in the UK, they're talking about, you know, sugar down to seven teaspoons. Um, the World Health Organization would say 10 to 14, you know, but no, you know, proper scientific group is saying you must ban it. And in fact, we've lovely studies that show that if you actually have a little bit of sugar, you eat more fiber. It makes high fiber foods taste better. So okay. you eat more of them. So there's actually, it's an interesting one looking at that, particularly around high fiber breakfast cereals, that getting the sugar in is actually a slight advantage um, on that side of things. Wow. But it's not a bowl of Frosties. Not a bowl, there. <laughs> but actually, that brings me back to hidden sugars because, you know, people say there's hidden sugars. And I was like, well, you know, if it actually says sugar-coated cereal on the box, I'm not sure how hidden, hidden that, you it know. is. Yeah. Or it yeah. tastes like sugar. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, butter. Next. I'm, again, fascinated by this because lo- we've lots of clients who come to us. And I'm not a dietitian at all. I've been PT a long time. And I know I very much know my corner. Mm-hmm. And we've always said to people, you know, eat the most natural version of our product. Mm-hmm. It's generally better. So the butter conversation, I would say to my clients, go for Kerrygold, knock yourself out and have a little <laughs> bit of it. I don't know if I'm right or wrong, so we're going to find I, out. I think it's the same as everything in moderation. And that's yeah. the thing to keep coming back to with nutrition. There's no extremes required. Now, the butter thing is funny because that's on the back of this you know, conversation around saturated mm-hmm. fat. So for decades, we've known saturated fat in most people when you eat it is going to raise cholesterol. We know that raised cholesterol predicts um, risk of heart disease and that's established. Now, I know if I go online and there will be arguments about this all over the place and I, I don't think I'd ever say that straight out on Twitter because it just wouldn't be Absolutely. worth it. Um, but the solid signs we have and, and what you can look at is we would look at, um, say, Cochrane Review, which is a huge organisation that does really detailed scientific reviews they're still very clear. I think they last look at cholesterol and saturated fat in 2018 and very clearly, unfortunately, saturated fat and heart disease very much linked. If you look at, say, for example, people following a vegan diet, they have about 80 percent lower risk of heart disease 
because they have almost no saturated fat. Now, there's a couple of other things going on there, but that's one major sort of advantage in terms of the, the vegan diet. So what happened about four or five years ago is there was suddenly this talk about, oh, saturated fat is actually good for you and butter is good for you. And we should all be eating it. And it blew up all over the place. And all the dietitians are kind of looking at this going, where, where is this coming from? Because the science just doesn't support it. I wish it did. I'd love to be able to go into any of my workplace talks and go, do you know what? Lash into the butter. Um, <laughs> but we can't. Now, again, though, it's a bit like the sugar. It doesn't need to be banned. Mm-hmm. But we need to limit it. We know that we need to keep saturated fat. Now, this is a real dietetic term, but under 10 percent of your calories from saturated fat. Don't try and work that out for real life. But um, but we're on about 15 percent of calories from saturated fat in Ireland on average. So it's things like butter, but also cream. And then it's in your biscuits and your cakes and your pastries because saturated fat is in there. And then your processed meats. So particularly like sausages, the black and white pudding, the pate, salami, chorizo, all those nice things. Um, But, you know, again, not banned. But, you know, if that's an everyday thing or four or five things a day from that list, give it a nudge, you know, and still your olive oil, your rapeseed oil. Study after study after study is telling us that they are the nice, healthy oils to use. We look at the Mediterranean diet so much, Um, you know, so I think a little bit of butter, as long as you're not also having the sausages and also having the biscuits and also having, you know, everything else. So it's it's really just pick your saturated fat. OK, great. And on that note, carbohydrates. Oh, per carbs. Um, How long have we got? Plenty. <laughs> uh, again, they get, and we see it time and time again, Instagram questions coming in. Oh, this PT, you know, they, they, they took out my carbs. I'm all, and they were like, no, seriously, we need carbohydrates. They're really important. They get a bad rap, but actually they're crucial for everything. Really. I, I think actually the thing about carbohydrate getting such a bad rap a few years ago is you can't sell a book talking sense on nutrition. I have quite often, people have often said to me, would you not write a book? And I said, I'd be wasting my time writing a book on nutrition because it would just be common sense. So yeah, you have yeah. to have a headline and a hook and and your hook is always going to be criticising existing nutrition guidelines, which is a handy one. Oh, that's wrong or that's wrong. Yeah. So I think that was the big thing for carbohydrate. Um, the thing I find all the time with carbs, we'll start at the top with this. Most people, Irish people that I work with, eat portion size of carbs that are way too big. So oh, it's yeah. not. Yeah, you've seen that, too, I'm sure. So it's not the carbs are bad. It's the volume. So, you know, when I say to people, if you take a, a dinner plate in Ireland and you cover that with pasta, that's coming up on all the carbohydrate on the whole food pyramid. You know, you've got to look at portion sizes. So carbs, you know, a quarter of your plate to a third, if you're really active, is plenty. You shouldn't be covering the whole plate with pasta and putting the rest of the dinner on top. Mm-hmm. In saying that, carbs, particularly your whole grain and your high fiber, they contribute huge amounts of nutrition. So if you even look, let's look at whole grain bread. When you start to eat that, you're going to start picking up your minerals. You're going to start getting things like magnesium. You're going to get copper. Would you believe bread is the major source of iron in the Irish diet? Wow. That is where we get most of our iron is bread. Um, everyone thinks it's beef, but it's actually bread. And, you know, so it actually contributes and it has your B vitamins. Um, you know, yes, there's carbohydrate there, but we, you know, we our body really likes to run on carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. And although the body can use protein and fat for fuel, it likes carbohydrate because it is the simplest and it requires the least metabolic work to do that. So I'm, I'm lecturing on nutrition at the moment and just talking to my students about and, the, and they're the same questions. Why not protein? Why not? Well, if you try to get calories from protein, that you've got to put the whole protein molecule through this whole process, which is costly to the body. Whereas if you just give it carbohydrate, it gets on with it. And then your protein goes to your muscles where you actually want it to go, because the protein is usually the most expensive part of the meal as well. Stop mm-hmm. wasting it for calories, you know. Um, and the thing is, carbohydrate is not causing the obesity crisis and it's not causing diabetes and all the rest. We know that there's so many other factors in there, but it's portion sizes. In, and it's the same with fat and the same with protein. You need the right amounts. And this is fundamental to nutrition all the time. It's portions. You know, I talk I often use the example of popcorn at the cinema. 
And if you have the giant bucket of popcorn at the cinema, depending on where you are, that can actually be up to 1100 calories just in there. Whereas your nice bag of popcorn is 180 calories. Mm -hmm. So popcorn is not bad for you. It's just amounts, you know. I don't even have the tip, you know, if your food is coming in a bucket, there is a problem. Um, <laughs> you know, so portion sizes, keep an eye on them. Um, and, and that's the thing with carbs. People, obviously, if you're eating you know, serving sizes of carbs that are huge and you cut that out, you're going to lose lots of weight. But the other thing with carbs is we we don't eat carbs on their own. We put butter on the bread. We put we make the potatoes into chips, you know. So when you actually cut out those carbs, you're actually cutting. And I saw this with loads of clients, the amount of fat that went out of their diet at the same time. And that came down as well. So there's there's all of that. But we don't need to. You know, carbohydrates, they do lovely things to receptors in our brain that make us feel relaxed. They bring in all that lovely fiber that we need. They're going to bring in all of those vitamins and minerals and so on. And we know from a cancer point of view, people eating whole grains get less cancer. We also know that from a cancer survivor point of view, and I was at a really interesting conference in London a few years ago, and we were looking at nutrition for cancer survivors. And the three foods that have come out of that are whole grains, milk and fish as the three foods for cancer survivors to eat. So the whole grains are front and center in there. Finally, the area of nutrition and dietetics, it evolves all the time, doesn't it? It's like the, the, the advice evolves and, and changes from time to time. A little bit. I mean, the thing we have to remember about nutrition, it's a science like anything else. So there's new studies coming out all the time. You know, if doctors were still treating patients the way they did in the 60s, we'd complain about it. And it's the same with nutrition science. And nutrition is a vast science. Um, I, I often joke, I know even friends of mine when um, thought I went to college and looked at apples and oranges for four years. But, you know, I did a huge amount of chemistry. Like, um, I think dietetics is the only subject you actually have to have leaving cert chemistry to go into. It's, it's a huge chemistry based um, sort of qualification. And the science and that is huge and very interesting. But people do say to me all the time, oh, the nutritionists and the dietitians are always changing their minds. And I would come back to that and go, the qualified people are not. Um, and what we have is the people, and I, I don't know if, if our listeners know this, but literally anyone can call themselves a nutrition expert, even if they've yeah. never studied nutrition. And I'm sure it's the same thing even in terms of exercise and in a lot of walks of life. Um, but I find a lot of people don't know that, say, dietitian is a legally protected title and you have to have a four year degree and you have to actually get it validated by the government and so on. Um, whereas with nutrition, you can have people who've been to university and done a degree in nutrition or you can have someone who did a weekend course or someone who just decided one day, hey, I'm going to be a nutritionist. And I find that the, the well, politely called the non-expert nutritionists will make up stuff or there's things. No, not always. Um, but that's where the confusion comes in. Whereas I'm qualified as a dietitian 25 years, one thing has changed in nutrition in 25 years, and that's eggs. So when I qualified, you know, we were still looking at the science around cholesterol and the recommendation at the time was about four eggs a week. Now that we have a wider understanding around cholesterol, we're saying, look, eggs seven to ten a week seems to be fine, possibly even more. I wouldn't be surprised if that nudges up again. So I'm very glad you and, say uh, that. <laughs> I, you know, and the thing we know as well, even around cholesterol, is is you you know, genetics again plays a role with that as well. But um, you know, we look at something like prawns and hundred grams of prawns has less cholesterol than one egg, you know. Um, okay. I'd be more worried about the garlic butter on the prawns. Absolutely. But um, yeah. you know, so in terms of if you're listening to something and it sounds completely against what nutrition guidelines have been for a long time, double and triple check. Mm -hmm. Things do change, but not significantly. Like, you know, we still need to limit salt. We still need fiber. We still need fruit and veg. We still need calcium. Do you know what I mean? Our, our nutrition requirements haven't changed, but we do learn more about nutrition and particularly around disease prevention as we get long, more of these longer term studies up and running. So as ever, it's qualified advice that, that that's what you're looking for. Yeah. And you can actually go on to the website is koru.ie which they regulate all health professionals in Ireland. So you can go into the dietitian register there and pop someone's name in and it'll actually tell you 
if they're on the register. So it's now, as I said, there's plenty of very well qualified nutritionists who wouldn't be dietitians. It's slightly different. So I'm not in any way dismissing them. But I think it just gives you you can say, ah, this person is talking. We know they've validated a bit like a doctor has to be registered with the Irish Medical Council. And speaking of that, if people want to follow you, I know I follow you and and, and repost your stuff all the time. If people want to follow you, where can they find you? So I'm on Instagram at Sarah Kyo or D. I am on Twitter, but it's a little quieter there at Dietitian. It's a strange place. It's It's very strange. Instagram is much happier, I think. Yeah. I have to say Orla Walsh put me onto Instagram last year and she said it's a lovely place to hang out and you know she's actually right although I have to say some of the, the stuff on the nutrition hashtag has frightened the life out of me I um, believe it yeah in all walks of life Instagram yeah, can yeah. be like that but it's a little bit friendly, friendlier Friendly. Sarah thank you so much for coming to the studio we really appreciate it folks that's it for another episode of Real Health with me Carl Henry in association with Leia Health you know where we are at Carl Henry PT on Instagram and Real Health at independent.ie we'll see you next week for more Real Health it's long ago Leia Healthcare looking after you always Pride sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.